Father, thank you just for the privilege and friendship that we have with Brad here at uh, the bridge in Abbotsford. And we're just so grateful um, to him for all that he's prepared in advance for us to hear this morning. And I just pray, Father, that as he um, uh, shares what he has, that, Father, you just breathe your life into each word, Lord, and it would resonate in our hearts with all that you want to share with us this morning. Thanks for Brad. Amen. Amen. Sorry, that wasn't such a good introduction as Lando would clean. Oh, no, no, no. No poems or anything. Yeah, you didn't make me blush. That's the main thing. <laughs> so um, thanks for leading that wonderful worship set. Um, my mom, Irene Jersak, is with us today. Um, and uh, and I'm happy to be here. You know, so the worship set was very interesting in a couple of ways. The first one was... My mom went with us to a vineyard conference in Edmonton in like 1990, and Brenda was singing there. So that was cool. And then um, I, I'm especially happy with that Steve uh, led us in that final song that he wrote as after deep theological considerations of Philippians 2 in our class at St. Stephen's University. And the lyrics of that were originally showed up in a paper he wrote. And it's just what we would call soaring Christology. Christology just means what we believe about Jesus. And, and it just absolutely gorgeous and more orthodox than the orthodox, by the way. So thank you for that. Really beautiful. Um, uh, this morning, I want to watch my time. That's one thing I want to do. Okay, so I have about 15 minutes. No. Okay, I'll aim for 20. Okay, so the, um, the thing I want to share, I did a little post today or this week, but you might not have seen it on the title. And it is, if I had a title for today, it would be the harmony of love, the harmony of love. And the metaphor around harmony is this, that harmony is about unity in difference. We're not all singing in unison. We're not all playing the same note. But we bring our diversity together. And when we love each other and respect each other and listen to each other and embrace each other, the differences can make a beautiful harmony. And... And so uh, I want to divide what I'm going to share to do with that difference in unity. Uh, the first half, I want to share a little bit about our, our shared values as human beings. Shared values as human beings. And then the second part, I want to talk a little bit about, about our diverse stories. So the first part's like how we're all the same or very similar. The second part is how we're all very particular and that that's good too. And that, that you see that conversation even happening in the New Testament where sometimes uh, preachers like Paul will emphasize the unity of all people, that we are all children of God. And then other times he'll talk about how we're particularly children of God. And it's different conversations, but I'll just give you some examples to begin with. So some of the passages where Paul talks about every human being as a child of God, not only Paul, 
starts in Luke with the genealogy of Jesus. You have the family tree of Jesus, starting with Jesus in Luke chapter 3, and it goes back all the way through the Old Testament. And then it goes, uh, Abel, I think it's Abel, the son of Adam. Adam, the son of God. So all of us are offspring of God. And then another example of that is when Paul is preaching in Athens to absolutely like idol worshipers. And he quotes one of their own hymns to Zeus. And they put it in our Bible and it says, we're all God's offspring. Another example would be Ephesians 3, where Paul is saying, I pray you'd know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God. But in the same paragraph, he says, because every family on heaven and on earth get their name from one father. So you get this idea that we're all God's children in some of those passages. But then you get other passages and right out of Jesus' own mouth, where he's like, uh, not everyone's God's children, you know, and you're like, what? Well, the problem was we picked that up and we said, well, we know who God's children are, right? It's people who became Christians. It's actually not what Jesus says. Blessed are the peacemakers. They get to call themselves God's children. Another place, especially in John's literature, John will say things like this, that um, here's how you know the difference between God's children and the devil's children. You're like, what? <laughs> so, uh, God's children do the right thing. And they love each other. They love their brothers. They love their neighbors. What is he doing there? Well, it seems to be he, he he's saying something about um, you don't get to just claim to be God's children. You get to be called God's children if you're somebody who loves, if you're somebody who follows. So you're not children by birth. You're children by imitating. Your children... You get to call yourself a children when you're acting like the father. So when I'm not, when I'm being hateful, it doesn't matter that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but it doesn't matter that I'm a Christian if I'm hating somebody. I don't get to call myself God's child then because I'm not filling his shoes. And this just messes with all our categories because then I, I know people who are peacemakers who love God and who... And who act like God the Father, and but they're not sure they want to be called a Christian. Oh, boy, this is confusing now. All right, so let's just boil it down so it's simple. Sometimes the Bible calls everybody God's children. Sometimes it calls people who love one another and love God, God's children. And it's is that a contradiction? No, it's just different conversations. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll have two conversations. First about sameness, second about difference. So sameness. My sameness part is this thing about shared values. So I'm teaching a course right now called multi-faith chaplaincy or spiritual care. And what's happened is, I don't know if I told you about this. I'm having such strong deja vu that I feel like I've shared it. Did I talk about this before, the chaplaincy? But not the church? Oh, then we don't need to talk about it. Um, no, here's what's happened. In Canada, we're a very interesting nation, and we have chaplains who are hired to work in prisons, uh, in hospitals, 
in the military, in hospices and so on. And there's a bit of a, a problem from two sides. The one side is a lot of those chaplains are Christians who don't know how to relate to anybody else. So when they're in a, when they're in a prison, if, if the Wicca or Sikh or Muslim chaplain's not there, what's the Christian chaplains do? Generally one of two things, they ignore everybody who's not a Christian or they go right into evangelism. And it's like, that's not what you're asked to do in that moment. There's a place for evangelists. Prison chaplaincy probably isn't that way. But the overreaction to that is then the, then the government comes along and they're like, don't talk about God. It's like, then how am I a chaplain? And in fact, if the prisoner believes in God, then they have the, under Canadian law, they have religious freedom that I need to minister to. And so we need to be competent and we need to be able to talk about God with people who need to talk about God, right? So, so, so you've got those who just want to be very exclusively Christian and those who want to be absolutely secular. In the middle of that, a really wild thing happened. Correction Services Canada, bless their hearts, contracts chaplaincy to a national group called Bridges of Canada. Bridges of Canada hires the chaplains. And they came to our school and said, do you think you could write a course on this? Before we knew we could, we said, of course we can. So a lot of what I'm thinking, it, it, we're, we're developing for this course and, and testing it right now so that all chaplains across Canada for Correction Services Canada, they, they have to pass our competency test. And so we're really excited about that as a, as a wonderful opportunity, but we want to get it right. So first conversation is, if you're a Christian, you're coming to somebody who isn't, how can you help them with their spiritual needs? I'll tell you in a minute. First, we'll do an exercise together that will be the punchline. I would like us all to think about something completely different. And it is this, how would you define a healthy relationship? So we, we've totally exited from that conversation for a moment. How would, when you think of a healthy relationship, can you think of three words? For a relationship to be healthy, you, it needs these things. Let's just, <laughs> I'm always right. If Brenda agrees, this is going to work really well. <laughs> yes. The ability to listen it, that, okay, good. Honesty, respect, reciprocity. What's that mean? It's a relationship. It's not just one way. Yeah. Presence, trust, safety, compassion. These are things that we need for healthy relationships. Let's do a few more. Communication, yeah. Hearing. Uh, I see. Okay, yeah, over here. Humility, okay. Forgiveness, okay. Okay. Humor. Humor, what was yours? Connection, connection. Empathy, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Recognizing the humanity in, in, in each other. They, this is really important for relationships. Okay, now I'm going to back up because you've just answered such so beautifully, not only what a healthy relationship looks like, but also you've told me what your values are. So this is really important, and we're teaching our chaplains how to do this, that if, if I say um, we, need, we need to identify our shared values, if I ask them, tell me about your values, you know what they do? They look inside themselves, and they decide what, what's most important to me, and what do I value, and sometimes when they do that, looking inside, they forget that all of our values are relational. And so they might come up with good words for that, but it's very self-centered. If I say, tell me your values, and then it's, it, it can be very self-centered. But if I say, define a good relationship, boom, 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 boom. You've just all told me your values. Isn't that beautiful? Now, if you were my client and I, could, I came to you, what would my role be as a chaplain or a spiritual caregiver? It would, it would not to impose my values on you, but it would be to help you identify your values. And then I can ask, how can I nurture that in you? So Steve, what would be a, a, what, what would be a word that you define as one of your healthy relationship words? Companionship. So, so then I could begin to say, I value that too. I think companionship's amazing. And you think, we have a shared value. Oh, and by the way, what religion are you? Almost doesn't matter. Because God has baked into every human being his image. And the image of God in every human being, in all of God's children, will include some shared values. And so companionship would be a beautiful one. Then I can say, uh, where are you experiencing that right now? Where are you not experiencing that right now? Where do you have wounds in, around? And then we can begin to share. But what we know right at the very beginning is we share this value. And there might be some we don't, but we find some we do in every person we meet. I know a witch, and his highest value is do no harm. I'm like, well, that I share that value, but you're a witch. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but you're a Christian. I guess we'll companion together. In And then I can ask him, where, where is harm happening? How have you done harm? How have you come to the... And, and, and then I can bring spiritual care in, in, uh, to that relationship. And here's the wild thing. Um, he says that he's being transformed. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, I think I have a clue how that's happening. It's, it's when two human beings created in the image of God share a value together and start companioning on the way, I believe, and he doesn't have to, that that creates space for transformation. And it's real. And so that that's... Um, so I have, I have relationships like this where we have shared values and I'm like, there is a way in which he and I are both God's children. 
Anything else to say about that? Well, that's a handy thing though, isn't it? To know that you can identify your own values uh, by what you think a healthy relationship is. And then you're thinking about your values, not just in a self-centered way, but in connection with other people. So that, that makes us very, very inclusive. It's a little bit like in the Philippians 2 part of the song, or have this mind in you. That, that you'd be one. But that's also a segue to our second half, diversity. Difference isn't bad. There are some things that are core convictions of mine that are different, definitely, than my witch friend. Like I would go to the wall for the truths that we were singing in Steve's Philippians 2 song. And my witch friend definitely would not. And I am unapologetically Jesus-y. And not everybody is. Not everyone in my classroom is. Not all of my friends are. Three quarters of my Christian friends aren't. But, but that is an element that I bring to the table and I, and I don't leave it behind. Because we all get to, it's only diverse if you bring your convictions to the table. So we do have a problem here where sometimes we get so nervous about sharing our convictions because that would somehow be bad that we sort of are like kites that have had the string cut and we just fly off and we're not anchored anymore. So first I'll make a very strong statement and then I'll tell you who shared it. My strong statement is this, if, if you are a follower of Jesus and you enter into a multi-faith conversation or a relationship with somebody else, you need to come as a Christian. I'm quoting Safi Kaskas, my Muslim friend. He's, he doesn't trust me to come as if I am not a Christian because he knows I am. And he's like, if you don't come as a Christian, I can't come as a Muslim. If you pretend you're not one for the sake of some kind of unity, then I have to leave my convictions behind and I'm not safe. And if you're not uncomfortable talking about Jesus, does that mean I have to leave Muhammad behind? Or should we all just pretend we believe nothing? So Safi really pushes this. And I might have told you this before, but you weren't all here. So when I bring him to my class, we team teach the Beatitudes. And he comes at it, he says, I want you to teach the Beatitudes of Jesus from a Christian point of view, and I will teach them from a Muslim point of view. And we'll come together around this. Weirdly, the Beatitudes are both my particular convictions and our shared values. Let's put them up on the screen because I, 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 I want to just focus on those for a moment. There it is. Um, and seeing the multitudes, he came up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, this is Jesus, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, so what we're about to get is the foundational teaching of Jesus in his first sermon in our first Gospels. I don't know if it was literally the first sermon he preached, but it's the one that the New Testament gives us first. And in the very first in the very first 
sermon in the very first gospel, the very first section we called the Beatitudes, and we sang about blessed are the blesseds today already. And what I'm saying is, with I, I pray this every day for over 10 years now, I can't be who I am. I can't have my diverse story without them, without these words of Jesus. And that's going to be, not everybody feels that way, but I do, and I bring them to the table. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, daughters, children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, um, so this really matters to me. And I found out that if I am respectful of the other and I listen well, I practice my shared values, I listen and I hear, I'm willing to be a companion, I'm willing to be honest, I'm willing to let them be honest, and I'm willing to show empathy, nobody expects me to ditch these. I've not met a person of faith or not of faith who, will, who, who would currently reject me for bringing what I my convictions to the table. Now, that's because I haven't stuck my head out far enough. Okay, I have with some Christians. But uh, but there's things about my story I just can't let go. And, and this would be one of them. And so I bring that to the table. And surprise, surprise, I'm, I'm surprised who's, who just absolutely embraces this. I'm also sometimes surprised by those who don't. But we're still at the table. So this idea of we have shared common values birthed in our identifying healthy relationships, but we also have diverse stories, and yours is different than mine. And here we are together. And even, um, even in a fellowship like this, the diversity of stories requires respect and listening to the other when you aren't of the same mind, right? So, so some of us would be like, wow, Steve's song is like everything I would want us to say about Jesus. And then the next person were like, I don't know. Well, what we can't do is say, well, whenever we disagree, the table needs to disperse and we can't be together anymore. I've watched that happen in the, since the Protestant Reformation in 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his theses to the Wittenberg door, we have two new denominations per week. Per week since 1517. That's because we thought that unity meant unison instead of harmony. That's because we thought if your idea of the cross and my idea of the cross are different, we can't be brothers and sisters anymore. 
And this just kept happening. And have, that's the denominations, never mind all the independent Baptist churches I drive by. I grew up in a Baptist denomination. So you've got um, about 200 Baptist denominations down south of the border. But like tens of thousands of the Baptist churches won't be in a denomination anymore. Now that's, I mean, I'm just picking on them. It's this, there's 200 kinds of Mormons too, you know. But you, but once you're like, I can't even be in a network anymore, pretty soon you can't even be in a home group anymore. What we've got to learn is the harmony of shared values and diverse stories. And that you, so in some, if I were to preach this in another church, I'd probably really have to emphasize the, the, uh, the unity side, the shared value side. In, in, at the bridge, I probably feel like now you've come a long way in that, but I want to remind you to be you and to have your diverse story and to have your convictions and that you get to share them without fear of rejection, exclusion. And um, so, so when you're, I, I say that because of this, when we're trying to be inclusive, um, it's tempting to let go of convictions. And you don't have to. In fact, the higher your Christology, the wider your reach will be. Uh, my experience, I have two experiences of that. <clears throat> One is they're not ready for a conversation, and so you can't. But another experience I've had of that is that if we start with our shared values, um, if you give permission, then you can have permission and test it, right? So, so they might say, I believe this thing, and, and I'm like, okay. Um, I see it differently. Can I share? And then, and then I do. And but by giving them the the mic first, in a sense, I create space for myself to share how I see it and what my faith means to me. And then at that point, they may just get angry and stone you. Um, and that's why that's why, in the New Testament, even like a beautiful gospel got people killed. Some weren't ready for that, but like um, uh, it's really interesting how much space you can make in those conversations. Now, if I was, if I if I go in knowing this person's a fundamentalist of whatever sort, left, right, Christian, other faith, then um, then I might actually s start with the values question. It's like, what do we share, and and what do you, for example. How would you define a healthy relationship? Okay, now we've got a little bit of common ground. So, uh, but I don't want to be so naive as to say that stuck people are are going to be great conversation partners. But you you will model something that tr can transform that for them. Your humility can generate a little something in their hearts to have humility. Your attentiveness can model for them a need to be attentive. And I have seen that soften some. I, um, yeah, thanks. You get a real huge range on that, not only from Christians, but also from Muslims. So my, my particular friend, 
and this is a there's a point you can't assume anything about anybody by a label like let's say muslim when there's a billion of them that range from progressive to fundamentalist right so you have the person in front of you and then and therefore with him what i said is what does your faith mean to you because also it could just be nominal you know um and so where he comes from is this he translated the quran he says in 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 the quran you know jesus comes up more than anybody over 70 occurrences and and that um and that in the quran uh the holy books and people who are people of the book you're to, called to respect them and welcome them and acknowledge that the quran is just like commentary on the holy books which are the torah and the gospels not all imams would tell you that, but he's like, it's just what the Quran says. So he really pays attention to the Gospels. He probably wouldn't like Paul. Um, but it, but he knows the words of Jesus inside and out. I mean, he probably convert he can probably convert um, Christians to Islam using the Gospel of John, you know, that kind of thing. But with the so with the Beatitudes, he he just says we he picks up on the end of it. The wise man who builds his house on the rock hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. He said, you can't be a good Christian if you don't practice the Sermon on the Mount. You can't be a good Muslim if you don't practice the Sermon on the Mount. And then we go to the Beatitudes, and the way he would teach those would be very similar to me. Um, but he would just bring in parallel passages from the Quran that align with each Beatitude. And then he really highlights the peacemakers ones. And he goes, this is why I call you brother. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. That makes us brothers. And therefore, we need to work together. And he, he says, Jesus said, go out two by two. You and I need to work together as peacemakers in this world because Jesus said, I mean, that's so that's his angle. And, and it would be it makes him very easy to work with and converse with around this where not all would be so easy you know my brother and i my brother is in nepal right now he had a very interesting conversation last night he called me and he said we talked about the word conversion or you're you use proselytize and and it's like we aren't the the call in the the great commission isn't to recruit someone to your club from another club it's to share the good news of jesus what is the good news of Jesus? You know, and so my brother said in here in, in North America, we're quite embarrassed about that because we were so bad at co we colonized. But in Nepal, he said, it's so much simpler because it's not just like, how do I get a Hindu to become a Christian? It is like, how do I get someone who is bound up in fear to know that there's nothing to fear? I tell them the good news of Jesus. Well, then many of them are becoming Christians, but it's not because my agenda was to get them to switch clubs. My agenda was to tell them a, such good news that it changes their experience of life. And as a result, they are seeing churches grow. And he's like, 
you know, Canadians would be kind of embarrassed about that. But he goes, it's, it's the simple news of Jesus' love for people that he has shown us that God is love. And you know what? Some of their gods aren't. And if you are afraid of your God and you have to appease your God, then maybe you need a different God. And I say, and that's true in the church as well. Would be, I, you know, I'm just looking at the question on the screen. I think relationship is reciprocity, companionship. Uh, and, and, and if it's contingent on me agreeing with them, it's not really, okay, maybe it's a relationship, but it's like a very small one. Like it would be like, I can only give them this much of me. A, a narrow strip um, um, or like and, and this is the hard thing I think this is where in in Steve's song where it talks about no no it wasn't Steve it's how you the beautiful way you guys rewrote that one he gives himself away so giving oneself away sometimes means offering more than they are willing to reciprocate but we have to be honest that there is a real loss in the relationship when it's like that. It's you, it's not communion. And, and, uh, and we risk when we offer more than, you know, and, 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 and the loss in that risk is, can be very painful. That's interesting. Cause that like to call it a friendship, when there'd be like a significant disagreement perhaps in in perspective shows you that you can you can harmonize at least on some songs you know and and then on other things it's like wow i think we're not going to move on this can there be respect for the other then and one thing that really helps maybe this will be my last word and this goes back to Lando's question too. I've, I've discovered that when people are on the opposite side of viewpoint, even let's say the most fundamentalist, conservative or progressive, if I can presume their motive is to be faithful to their convictions, I can. there's all sorts of space for relationship then too. And then I can ask them, can you understand that though we differ my intent is to be faithful. And, and if we agree on that, oh my goodness, there's no lid. That's really good.